welcome to the NBAV Podcast. Let's break down the NBA action from the last day of January, January 31st, 10 games of hoops. Coming to you live on February 1st, 2024, already into the second month of the year. We started off last night with the Clippers beating the Wizards in a game that uh, should come as no surprise to anyone. Clippers beat the Wizards. And then we have the Cavaliers winning another game, staying hot, beating the Pistons. Now, this game was really close coming down to the wire. And this is a, this is a showcase game. It's not a showcase for Cleveland. Cleveland's playing great. This is a showcase, and this whole next week and a half until the trade deadline is a showcase for the Pistons and for any team that's looking to sell off some players to get some assets in hope of building towards a brighter future. The Pistons are trying to showcase Bogdanovich, and they're trying to showcase Alec Burks, amongst others. As the game is coming down to the wire, Bogdanovich wide open three-pointer in the final minute or two for the lead. Misses it. Not a great showcase. You want the Pistons, if if you own the Pistons, if you run the Pistons, you want Bogdanovich and Burks hitting shots and winning the game so you can go tell other teams, hey, this guy's a winner. If he can win games on my crappy team, imagine what he can do for your team with championship aspirations. Bogdanovich misses the three. Then you come down to the final possession of the game. Detroit has the ball, and they need a bucket. The final impactful possession I should play. Detroit, coming down to the end, Jaden Ivey has the ball. He's dribbling at the top of the left wing. I'm painting the picture for you here. Jaden Ivey dribbling, surveying. He hasn't yet made a move. Monty Williams calls timeout. Apparently, he didn't like the look. He didn't think they had anything going. There was still more than 10 seconds on the shot clock. So Monty Williams said, we got a timeout. Let's talk it over. We've messed up a lot of fourth quarter end of game situations so far this season, as exemplified by our record. Let's get this one right. Pistons inbound the ball after timeout where Monty Williams drew up a play. Ball ends up in the hands of Alec Burks along the right baseline, two-point territory right baseline. Burks dribbles, dribbles, doesn't get a shot off, 24-second shot clock violation. What, What could Monty Williams have drawn up? What could Monty Williams have drawn up for a shot to take the lead when he called timeout 
He knew how many seconds were left on the shot clock. Did he forget to relay to Alec Burks how much time was remaining on the clock for the possession? Or did he tell Burks and Burks just malfunctioned and forgot? Or is this just a form of self-sabotage by Monty Williams where he's trying to tank the game? Where Jaden Ivey had the ball, he could have maybe made a shot and scored, got something going to the hoop and scored. Monty Williams says, no, 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 no. Jaden, Jaden, you're playing too well recently. Let's take the ball out of your hands. Timeout, ball out of Jaden Ivey's hands. Let's give it to Alec Burks and tell him that the shot clock is, is at 24. He'll operate like he has a full shot clock, and then when he doesn't get the shot off, we turn the ball over, we lose the game. That's the conspiracy theory side of me. But how does Monty Williams draw up a play for Alec Burks? And Burks is unaware, a veteran player, by the way, a veteran player is unaware that the shot clock is winding down and he doesn't actually even get a shot off. I mean, how does that happen? So not a great showcase by the Detroit Pistons for Bogdanovich missing a three-pointer to give them the lead and Alec Burks getting a play drawn up for him coming out of the timeout, not realizing how many seconds are left on the shot clock. So, rough night in Detroit. The Bulls beat the Hornets in Charlotte, 117-110. And last night, uh, we got a, a wake-up. Someone woke up. Someone heard the alarm. The alarm bell was sounding after seven straight losses. And each game, the Miami Heat stuck their arm out, hit snooze, go back to sleep, back to sleep. It's not playoff time yet. And last night, for whatever reason, I can't tell you why, the Heat got out of bed. They got out of bed, they came to the arena, and they decided, why don't we play a good game against Sacramento? The problem for Sacramento, in my mind is that when Sabonis views himself as having a bigger role than he should, that's not the team's premier place of operation. What I mean is, when you have De'Aaron Fox handling the ball, bringing the ball up, calling plays, getting to the hoop, setting things up, when you have Malik Monk setting things up, the King's ceiling just went way, way higher than it ever would if DeMontis Sabonis is bringing the ball up. And I find that when I watch the Kings play, Sabonis always stands out on the screen. For whatever reason, it just seems like he always, the ball finds him. The ball is inbounded, and for some reason, he's the one dribbling the ball up the court. For some reason, the ball always finds him in the center of the zone, on offense. He's, you know, looking, looking, passing out, kicking out for a corner three. So much with Sabonis and his fingerprints on the basketball in the fourth quarter. 
But that's not where the kings succeed the most. Where they would be a little better, in my opinion, is if Sabonis was concentrated on the smaller but pivotal details of rebound the basketball, defend, and use your slightly sized frame, right? He's not, he's not Joel Embiid out there in terms of stature. He's kind of this new age of center, a little smaller, a little bit smaller, but he can get low and he can get offensive rebounds. That's what I want from Sabonis if he was on my team. Do that. Because if you focus solely on that, you'll put the team in better position to win these close games at the end. When Sabonis gets an offensive rebound and, and goes back up and dunks it, it's monumental for this Kings team. Those put-back dunks matter so much. They make such a big difference between winning and losing games. But he expands his role far outside the scope of what makes the Kings successful. And it was the same thing for them in the playoffs. He came up small, trying to do too much. But part of it, part of this problem is that he has a, a, a price tag, a hefty sum that's paid to him in salary each year, which makes you believe that, hey, if you're paying this guy that much money, then you've got to give him that much more responsibility. I think we got to look past that. We got to say, no, don't be DeMontis Sabonis. Don't do all the things that have been expected so far of DeMontis Sabonis. Be Isaiah Hartenstein. Do less things, but do them very, very, very well. And that will impact the King's success far more than trying to be this all-around player. Do less, but do each thing better. Heat getting out of the lose column. First time in eight games, they achieve a victory. Victory on their home court. 115-106 against the Sacramento Kings, snapping their win streak. The Pelicans beat the Rockets. The Thunder defend home court against the Nuggets. Now, the Nuggets unexpectedly, uh, they ended up playing without their star, Nikola Jokic. Not on the court last night. So that kind of takes uh, a lot of the oomph out of the matchup between the Nuggets and the Thunder at the top of the Western Conference, you know, once you know that Jokic isn't playing. But the Thunder, coming down the stretch, let's, let's paint the picture of the game here. Thunder, coming down the stretch, up by 10 points in the fourth quarter, a couple minutes to go. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is trying to nurse this lead and take them to the finish line, to the point where it says zero minutes and zero seconds left on the clock. And he's doing this nifty little trick where when they inbound the ball, he's allowing the ball to roll before he touches it. Because as the ball is rolling, more and more time is rolling off the clock. We saw John Morant do this last season, and now Shea Gilgis-Alexander is doing this. <laughs> 
And I totally understand it if I'm Shea Gilgis Alexander. Because when it comes down to the end of these games, he is on his own out there. They do not have, and I've talked about this many times in the past, the Thunder do not have a bunch of shooters surrounding SGA at the end of these games who can be relied upon to hit shots. I mean, when they have Josh Giddy out there at the end of these close games, it's pretty brutal. Giddy has promise. You know, he can pass the ball really well, and he's nifty, and he can get to the, to the hoop a little bit, and he's, you know, he, he, he's young. He's young, and he's got a lot of potential, but as a shooter, I mean, he took a three-point shot last night when they needed it that barely grazed the front of the rim, and it was just, if I was a Thunder fan, I'd be like, oh, my God. I mean, that looked real bad. Wide open, wide open from the right wing, and he, he barely grazed the rim. Outside of SGA, at the end of these games, they don't have a lot of reliable guys to hit the three-pointer. They have SGA, and they have Dort. Kenrich Williams ain't going to get it done. Chet Holmgren doesn't have that reliable three-point shot. More often than not, he misses at the end of these close-game situations. But last night, he actually hit one. And it was on a second-chance opportunity where at the end of the game, Thunder got off a shot. They missed it. They were only up three or four points at this. They were up one point. I'm sorry, they were up one point when this happened. They got the rebound through great hustle, and they sent it back out to the left wing to where Chet Holmgren was wide, wide, wide open off of the rebound. And then he nailed the three, giving them the four-point lead and enabling them to win the game. And when they did that, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is just like, oh, thank God. Because he has to carry this team so incredibly at the end of these, these close ball games. It's, it's just ridiculous. And until some of these guys improve their shooting, you know, these young players improve their shooting to help him, it's really tough for him. It's a tough situation. So I can understand why he allows the ball to, to roll up the court and just take time off the clock. Because it's not easy with two minutes to go. It's not easy for him to drag this bunch across the finish line with their limited offensive skill set. And they so nearly blew that lead. At the top of the Western Conference, you have some imperfect teams. You have young teams overachieving like the Thunder, and like the Timberwolves, Timberwolves who uh, moved back into first place in the West, but they're not there yet. The Timberwolves struggle at the end of close games. The Thunder don't know where to go with the basketball outside of Gilgis Alexander at the end of close games. Those are the areas where these teams have to improve, and neither one really has a shot to win the title this year. The Thunder, in my opinion, are a little better than the Timberwolves because they have the better player at this point. SGA is proven at the end of close games. He knows how to play. He's better than Anthony Edwards has been. So that puts the Thunder a little bit higher in my book. But both teams struggle for different reasons. 
The Timberwolves don't have a clear identity at the end of these games. They have Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, Anthony Edwards all fighting for this, for this position of what to do at the end of the game, really mainly between Towns and, and Edwards. And Edwards has been vanishing a little bit, uncharacteristic of who the player who we think he would be. And the Thunder have the opposite issue, where they know who's handling the ball at the end of the game. They know SGA is the man. But when the defense collapses on him and the defense is defending Dort, where else does he go with the ball to a guy who can hit an open shot? And these are the reasons that are going to hold them back come playoff time. But SGA doing a great job of holding that lead as best as he could, and they end up with the 105-100 lead against the shorthanded Nuggets. The Magic beat the Spurs by 10, 108-98. The Timberwolves absolutely destroy the Mavericks, but the Mavericks were playing without their key players. They didn't have Luka play last night, and they didn't have Kyrie play last night. And if Luka's not playing and Kyrie's not playing, what do the Mavericks really have? Hardaway Jr. only scored 14 points last night in 32 minutes. So if you don't have Luka and you don't have Kyrie, and Hardaway is only going to put up a 14 for your team. I mean, it's, it's, it's a death sentence. It's over. So the Timberwolves get an easy victory. They don't have to worry about crunch time because when you're up by 30 points, crunch time isn't exactly something that, that has much crunch. Then you have the Suns going, Kevin Durant going back to Brooklyn, getting a nice little uh, applause from the crowd with a tribute video, whatever. 136-120, getting the 16-point victory. The Trailblazers then beat the Bucks in our final game of the evening. And this we have to talk about a little bit. Milwaukee, at the end of the game, they get so three-point centric. Do you know how many three-pointers Brooke Lopez took in the final four minutes of that game? He may have taken seven three-pointers. Maybe eight. No less than six. Now, I understand he's a good three-point shooter and all, but I mean, is that what you want? Best-case scenario? Lillard, how many three-point shots did he take? And then the best play of the game from the Bucks was when Damian Lillard got to the hoop and he, he had a really, really pretty dunk where he seemed to hang in the air for the beginning and then it just it just extended and he kind of like what looked like a double pump and he laid it back in with his body turned sideways. Really, really beautiful dunk by Damian Lillard at the end of that game. But what that showed me is Lillard and Giannis, they're so good at getting to the hoop. Why settle early in the shot clock for a long three-point shot from Lopez or Lillard? Why not try to get to the hoop and get the dunk? You can do it. You've, you prove time and time again you can do it. Giannis can always do that. He can always get, get good lay-ins at the end of the ballgame. Why not try for that as option one before sending the ball back to Lopez and, you know, for an, another three-pointer? Get the dunk. You have a trailblazer team that was trying their best to give you the game, 
I mean, how many times did they turn the ball over at the end? How many they 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 got the ball stolen off of inbounds pass? I mean, that happened a couple of times. And you have DeAndre Ayton, who is playing in the fourth quarter. He's feeling himself out there. DeAndre Ayton looking like Hakeem Olajuwon. No hesitation. Hook shot, you know, just laying the ball up and in. No, zero hesitation. I mean, that was the best Ayton looked in a long time. But those who know, know. We watch that game and we go, hey, hey, what's going to happen in the final two minutes? Is this going to be Hakeem Olajuwon, DeAndre Ayton, or is this going to be DeAndre Ayton, the Iceman? Cold as ice, where the ball hits the rim and the rim freezes. DeAndre Ayton, the Iceman, who can't make it to the arena because his home is surrounded by ice. DeAndre Ayton, at the end of the ballgame, he has a chance to win it, to ice it, and he misses two bunnies at the rim. Oh, man, did he miss two easy, easy layups at the end of the ballgame. Wow. And the true DeAndre Ayton, the Iceman, showed up once again. The Blazers tried so hard to lose that game. So, so hard. But the Bucks, they come down to the final possession. The Bucks are down one. They're down one point. So what do they do? The Bucks call timeout. Doc Rivers, we got Doc Rivers in, in here right now. Doc Rivers, the experienced coach, coming in to call, a, to call a play. Let's see what he draws up. Let's see how they get to the basket down one. Let's get a Giannis dunk. Let's get a Lillard layup. Let's do it. Go into the hoop. Let's get the lead. They call timeout, and Doc Rivers sets up a play for Brooke Lopez to shoot a three. He sets up a play for a three-pointer when they're only down one point. If you could just get to the foul line and shoot two, you could take the lead. If you could get a layup, you take the lead. A dunk gives you the lead. And they set up for a three. I mean, how does that happen? How does Doc Rivers come in to coach this team, call a timeout with the game on the line down by one single point, and not get something going towards the basket, not get an easy two-point shot? They take a tough three. Just bewildering. Is that why we brought Doc Rivers in? We fired Adrian Griffin to bring Doc Rivers in? To shoot a three down one? Wow. I mean, this is, you watch a, a, a coach call a play like that and you say, fire him. What's, the, what's he doing? If I was Milwaukee right now, I'd say, bring back Prunty. I mean, what is Doc Rivers thinking? And another abysmal loss for the, trail, for the uh, Bucks who are trying their best. The Trailblazers were trying their best to give them that game, and they couldn't pull it off. There's a lot of talk in the league, just in a couple of headlines. There's a lot of talk about the 65-game threshold for NBA players to win awards. It's uh, coming off the heels of Embiid, not playing, blah, blah, blah. You know, the fans don't care. The fans don't care about the 65-game threshold. These, these are things the players care about. 
To the fans, it doesn't really make a difference if Tyrese Halliburton makes or doesn't make another $40 million. These are problems for the players to figure out with the league. It's not so interesting for the fans to talk about, oh, blah, 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 65-game threshold for awards. What the, what the fans care about is, are you injured or not? What the fans don't want is we don't want to buy a ticket to go to a game or turn on our televisions to watch a game thinking that the best player in the game is going to be there and then, oh, he's gone. Nope, Embiid is sitting out again. Oh, Jokic isn't playing. Sorry, no warning. No LeBron tonight. The fans want to see the players playing. But if a player's injured and we know the player's injured, then what, what can we do about that? The player's injured. What are we going to do? We're going to wheel him out in a, in a wheelchair to, to play the game against healthy players who are peak athletes? Of course not. All, the, all that the fans want is just tell us whether a player is hurt or not. If he's hurt, he's not playing. We get it. We're not expecting someone to get shot in the leg and go out and, and, uh, and, and take jump ball and win the tip. We just want to know, is a player injured or not? That's all. The awards are really secondary. We just want the best players on the court. And if they're not on the court, just let us know that they're injured. I think that pretty much rounds it out in terms of last night's NBA action and some of the storylines. You know, I was listening to another podcast and they were doing a little uh, look ahead as to which teams can possibly win the NBA championship. And they listed 14 teams on that list for who could really win a title. I understand they gave some teams you know, a very slim chance, but they still gave them a chance. I mean, come on. But if you're giving 14 teams a chance to win the NBA Finals, then what is your, your list basically doesn't matter. Like, come on. What are we doing here? So maybe I'll make a real list, a concise list of teams that can really win a title this year. Maybe we'll do that on the next podcast. We'll see. But coming up tonight, we only have uh, four games. It's just four games of hoops on a Thursday night. We have the Pacers going to play the Knicks. Knicks bit by the injury bug, but they're on their home floor. You know, they're still absolutely hot as a smoldering torch. They've won eight games in a row. Nine and one in their last ten. They're going to try to defend home court against the Pacers. Halliburton, did he re-aggregate an injury or not? We'll see. I don't know if he's playing tonight. But the Knicks should be a tough one no matter what. The Pacers play hard. Should be a good game no matter what. You have the Lakers going against the Celtics. The Lakers are hurting right now. LeBron is, is tweeting hourglass images. He's trying to tell the team, oh, very little time. Make a trade, make a trade, make a trade. It's not something that Steph Curry would ever do. But, you know, that's how LeBron does things. He's always putting pressure on the front office to make trades. He's not taking the blame himself. He's saying, give me more help. Okay, you know, we're used to LeBron at this point. We know what he does. And now they're going to go to a place where it's virtually guaranteed for them to lose, which is going to Boston. The Celtics at Boston Garden don't lose. And they probably won't lose again tonight. The Cleveland Cavaliers are going to take their uh, everything they have going for them right now. They'll go down to Memphis, and they should be able to handle business against Memphis. I know the young Memphis players are frisky, but you know you really can never take Memphis to beat a team like Cleveland right now with the players Memphis is throwing out versus Cleveland getting Garland back, uh, Donovan Mitchell playing as well as he is, beating Milwaukee in their last game. You just can't think the Cavs are going to lose this one to the Grizzlies. 
And then you have the 76ers, losers of four in a row, going against the Jazz. This could be a good opportunity for the Jazz to get back on track. But for the Sixers, we need to see someone step up. Embiid is out. He's hurt. We know that there's frustration. Frustration with what, what, with why can't he stay on the court? Why is he always injured? Forget about it. He's hurt right now. Who's going to step up? Tobias Harris? You get paid a lot of money. It's time to step up. Tyrese Maxey, let's go. Step up. They got to step up and snap this four-game skid or they're going to continue to tumble in the standings. Email your questions and comments to the show at NB Avenue. That's N-B-A-V-E-N-U-E. It also looks like NBA Venue, if you break up the words like that. NB Avenue at yahoo.com. Follow us on social at NB Ave and NB Avenue on Facebook and X. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and we'll catch you on the next one.